Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, this is Mike Passanate, and welcome back to the award-winning Hospital Finance Podcast. During the height of the pandemic, many people deferred medical care. This, of course, led to lower patient volumes at hospitals and physician practices. Recently, MGMA surveyed healthcare providers to better understand how their compensation was affected during that tumultuous period. Today, I'm joined by Andrew Swanson, Vice President of Industry Insights at MGMA, to discuss the results of that survey. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. So, Andrew, could you start out by telling us a bit about how you gathered the data for this report and what you were looking at? Sure. Um, every year, even in non-pandemic years, MGMA collects information from our members and the entire industry. Uh, once you know, we reached out to folks. You know, there was overwhelming response about wanting to understand, um, you know, the data that was being proffered around the country about. Things like RVU reduction and its reliance or, or reluctance on pay. And so that's where we started uh, the conversation in our data collection efforts. We actually collected two sets of survey information. Our typical annual survey, um, where somebody would submit either online or via Excel, um, you know, a typical uh, set, set of questions tied to provider compensation. And we also did a uh, more month-to-month survey cycle Uh, beginning in June of last year to get a real kind of point in time sense uh, with a much smaller sample, of course, of what practices were experiencing as we were coming out of the first or second wave of the pandemic. Um, You know, this year, our our annual aggregates uh, survey had over 185,000 providers represented across more than 6,700 medical practice organizations. So, it's a quite a robust data set and one that is obviously nationally known and, and one that's nationally relied on to do, you know, benchmarking and, and fair market value, et cetera, uh, on physician compensation. Excellent. So, Andrew, um, the, the top storyline, how was physician compensation affected overall by the pandemic? Yeah, this I mean, this was the the quote unquote million dollar question. Um and surprisingly, at least surprisingly to me and a lot of folks at MGMA, was not very much is the, is the headline. Um, primary care experienced a, um, a slight growth on the physician comp side, about 2.5% between 2019 and 2020, while down significantly from, you know, when you look at three- and five-year trends of over 55 to 10, 10% um, of growth um, in compensation, but still a, a little bit of an uptick in comp. Um, surgical and non-surgical physician compensation was flat or slightly down um, by about a percent or two um, between 2019 and 2020. Um, so, you know, overall relatively flat. And then the, the next logical question is why is that? Uh, when volumes plummeted March, April, and May, um, you know, you can't catch up three months of volume in a, in a consecutive, you know, seven-month period June through December. And, and so what we looked at was, you know, how, first, how much, you know, of that pent up demand um, was able to be, uh, you know, seen by providers over the course of June through December. And, and the short answer was some, but not all. 
And so, yes, compensation follows, right? Um, so as, as volumes pick up and even as, um, you know, uh, untreated care becomes treated um, and maybe people are operating schedules at 102, 105, 110% capacity from an access perspective, um, compensation certainly picked up a little bit. Um, but, but really what we saw was that the, the loans um, from the government um, and, and other kind of stabilizing factors really were taken advantage of by and large by organizations to, you know, kind of float um, that compensation and keep comp on par so that they could continue to provide the community services that were needed. Um, and so, you know, PPP and provider relief um, and, and other sorts of stimulus efforts um, were widely used uh, to keep compensation flat. Um, and I think that's the, the the difference or the the delta between you know some of the decreased volumes that we all experienced and you know f- relatively flat compensation in the year. Were there differences in compensation changes between hospital loan practices and independent practices? Um, yeah, slightly. Um, you know, again, you know, looking at kind of primary care versus surgical and non-surgical. You know, primary care um, tended to, to go up a little bit more on the on the physician-owned practice side than the hospital-owned practice side. Um, you know, about a percent on the hospital side compared to close to five and a half percent on the physician side, physician-owned side. Um, and then decreases were equally, you know, kind of um, you know sp- spread across on the physician-owned side. They felt the pain a little bit more than their hospital-owned colleagues. Um, you know, about four and a half percent on the surgical specialty side decrease, um, whereas on the hospital side, it was, you know, about a half a percent decrease. Uh, non-surgical was about the same between physician-owned and hospital-owned, about a point and a half decrease. Um, and then, you know, in the advanced practice provider, you know, your nurses and PAs, et cetera, um, you know, again, the physician-owned practices took a bit of a bigger hit um, again, probably tied because you got a lot more of those APPs practicing in surgical and non-surgical specialty groups, uh, almost down about two points, whereas the hospital on side remained relatively flat, a slight increase of about a one and a half percent. So yeah, there were some differences between physician-owned groups and hospital-owned groups, the biggest one being in primary care, um, you know, the increase of around in, in about 5% um, on physician-owned side, different than flat on the hospital-owned side. By and large, similar um, but that would be the one kind of uh, greatest anomaly between physician-owned and hospital-owned practices. And uh, just a couple minutes ago, you talked about the loans and how they helped to uh, offset what could have been a decrease in compensation. Were there other variables that contributed to compensation growing modestly while patient visits declined? Yes. Um, I think there are... I don't, I don't think there are different compensation methodologies that this year, this past year in particular, really, I think, did a lot to stabilize our business. And so for those groups, either hospital-owned practices or large multi-specialty groups that may be either private equity-backed or in a, in a group ownership perspective from physician perspective, um, I think the way they're modeling compensation has become so evolved that we, we did a good job of kind of balancing out a very tumultuous, obvious, obviously, year. Um, in that, bon- things like, you know, RBU bonuses for, for higher production um, and, and things like, you know, maintenance of, of a base salary, um, regardless of RBU production, I think evened out 
you know, a lot of the what could otherwise have been a very roller coaster year from a compensation perspective that many in the you know physician owned practices might have been feeling, especially those smaller physician owned groups. Um, so I think in addition to the obvious, you know, governmental support for our industry and others, um, I think the the compensation methodologies and structures around physician contracts really came to bear in the past year to help keep compensation afloat to where it should be, even at times when volumes were radically shifting, both first down and then as they ramp back up, and in some cases ramp back up north of 100% of what typical volumes would look like. So I think those things helped even out um, those potential you know, high and lows of those curves. So Andrew, when we look back on 2021, how do you think compensation trends might look? My prediction is that they will look promising in that um, volumes will be far more stable, of course, and compensation will be a little bit more on a traditional three to five year trajectory. That said, um, there is a massive staffing problem right now on the provider side, as, as all of your listeners know. And so we recently did a quick um, you know, point in time poll of uh, about you know 1,200 or so respondents, and, and 70% said they are going to be hiring a new physician. And we have some data from you know November of 2020 that says you know about same sort of percentage on the APP front. So, <clears throat> with as much hiring is going to be going on in our industry and staffing staffing levels back up, I absolutely think the compensation is going to go up. Um, and so you know more costs. Um, and, and more and higher levels of compensation, I suspect, as groups compete for those, you know, in high demand sorts of providers. There's the telehealth conversation, which, you know, is always interesting. And <clears throat> assuming the federal government continues to keep telehealth reimbursement at the same levels as they were, as they have been during the pandemic, which we are hopeful of, um, then telehealth is here to stay on a, on a major level. And, I think if that stays, then as reimbursement for telehealth activities goes up, um, I think you could conceivably see compensation going up as RVU production, you know, get gets, I would say, more adequately or more on par um, compensated for telehealth activities as it would um, non-telehealth activities. And so now if you have providers <clears throat> who are opening up their access a little bit bro- more broadly for both inpatient and digital services, then presumably RVUs are going to go up and compensation will follow. So I, I think all of those factors, you know, c- continue to push compensation in the trend that was, I will say, stunted or pawed in 2020, but will pick back up in 2021. So I, I think the growth curve for compensation will continue to go slightly up, certainly a little bit more than, than in the past. It's great analysis, Andrew. Um, if someone wanted to get a copy of this report, where can they go? Yeah, um, they can go to mgma.com. And if you go backslash comp, C-O-M-P dash report, you can get the full um, report there. Um, and I, you know, I, I think as groups are really analyzing, you know, their compensation both in 2020 and then as we talked about and beyond, you know, I think mgma.com offers lots of compensation related resources, trends, in a lot of analytical reporting to find out, you know, a little bit deeper dive into the numbers 
I know your listeners are, are keenly interested in getting into. Andrew Swanson, thanks so much for joining us today on the Hospital Finance Podcast. My pleasure. Thanks, Mike. This concludes today's episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help you protect and enhance revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.